Under the Tartan Sky, Episode 15, recorded 22 September and produced 18 October 2015. Scottish tourism is on the rise. Through the end of June 2015, Scotland has outperformed the rest of the UK in attracting visitors both domestically and overseas. Figures show an overall increase of 7%. One reason is the success of the Stars Channel TV drama, Outlander. And when we return, we'll meet two enterprising ladies who are capitalizing on Outlander, Ancestry, and one of Scotland's little-known gems. That's coming up here, Under the Tartan Sky. Caught up in the mystic and spellbinding saga that is Outlander? Wishing you could be swept away over the sea to sky? Why not come and visit Claire and Jamie's world? It's a land of standing stones, shimmering lochs, and great glens that stretch to the horizon and beyond. Outlander, whether in books or on TV, is Scotland. Come and visit the breathtaking landscapes, walk the historic castle grounds, listen for the skirl of the pipes through the thickening mists. You can travel through time when you visit and experience Scotland. The Scotsman is reporting just this week that over 15.5 million tourists visited Scotland in the past 12 months, an increase of 10%. Overseas visits to Scotland were up 12%, driven by a 16% increase in tourists from North America. There can be little doubt that the Stars Channel TV drama Outlander, an adaptation of the books by Diana Gabaldon, has played a role in this crush of North Americans visiting Scotland. After all, the series debuted here in North America a full year before it could be viewed in Scotland. While Outlander-based tours in Scotland are not new, they've been around since the book's debut back in the 1990s. But what is new are tours to the actual filming locations, from Castle Leoch to Lollybrock to Wentworth Prison. Thanks to the TV production, these fictional locations now have a physical reality, and tourists are flocking to see them. Emma Chalmers and Anne Daly are two enterprising ladies who spent several years each in the financial industry. Now, as partners in a wee tourist company, Mary's Meanders, they're making money the hard way. They're earning it, one tourist at a time. Besides offering tours of the many Outlander filming locations, the pair have created a unique Taste of Outlander experience and as Emma explains, it's all part of their plan to share with the world one of Scotland's little-known gems, the village of Linlithgow. 
So the initial idea came from just living near to Linlithgow. I live in a small village close to the town. And we have a palace here where Mary, Queen of Scots, was born. And we would always get a lot of visitors to the palace. And I just always thought to myself, there should be more tourists coming down onto the high street and finding out more about the town of Linlithgow because it has the palace is an absolute gem and it's beautiful and really worthwhile visiting if you're here in Scotland. But the town of Linlithgow also has a museum. It has the canal basin and a lot of history to the town. So my idea was to set up just a walking tour business, um, trying to encourage people to come out from Edinburgh, from Stirling, from Glasgow to visit Linlithgow. So we focused on that for a couple of months. But then as time went on, we started hearing about Outlander and Anne became involved in the business and she had read um, the Outlander books before. So she became excited when she realized that they were filming the Outlander TV series near us. And so we started looking into developing tour, tours about that. I'll hand over to Anne if she wants to add anything to that. Yeah, I was curious, Anne, how you came to, how, how did the two of you connect and, and become a business together? Well, I started out, um, I just um, heard that Emma was looking for tour guides and I don't come from that kind of background, but I've always been passionate about history and I've lived in Linlithgow for 20 years. I'm really, really involved in the community and I've been, if you like, an unofficial tour guide for many, many years. I love taking people round sites, round um, historic monuments and really just sharing that it's a beautiful town and a beautiful country, just sharing that with other people. Um, Emma was looking for guides. I said I, I would be quite interested in doing this just really as a little part-time job just um, to get me out away from my computer where most of my working life has been spent. Um, so started doing the walking tours and as I say we just really clicked. Um, I've got a very very strong business background so I became very quickly more involved almost in the business development as well as just the touring side of it. As I say became aware um, that there was filming going on locally and realised it was Outlander and that there was something um, a bit special and a bit different that we had there and really looked into that. And that's really become quite a strong focus for us in the past year. But that doesn't mean to say that my original passion, which is for Linlithgow, and specifically I've always had a passion for Mary, Queen of Scots, that hasn't gone away. We still um, mm -hmm. do, do work with that and we're part of the Mary Stewart Society and really getting involved with things like that as much as possible too. And so Mary's Meanders obviously is named for, because there's Emma and there's Anne, there is no Mary yeah. in, in the company. No. So Mary's Mary Meanders. Is Mary, of, Mary is Mary Queen of Scots, yes. <laughs> okay. And really it's just, a, the, the idea was that we are meandering or having a stroll in the footsteps of Mary Queen of Scots. That really is the premise about it. And it is have a nice day out, just have a little wander around the town, have a chat about um, what's in the town, some of the history, some of the old traditions that we have, just some of the things that go on. And that's really the attitude and the way we, we expand into everything. When you go out with a day with us, it really is just going out with friends, having a chat about shared interests and really what's around there. But, you know, we know about the background, we know about the history, we know about local customs. And that and that thread follows through everything we do with Outlander, everything we do with Ancestry, really. It's the same kind of um, passion okay. and the yeah. same kind of theme that follows through, same feel. And yet neither of you are native to 
Linlithgow. I know you both eventually moved there and settled there. And so I'm curious why Linlithgow, because if the average tourist sits down and draws up a, an itinerary of what they're going to go see when they're in Scotland, I'm thinking Linlithgow probably isn't in the top five, maybe not even the top ten. You've got Edinburgh, you've got Glasgow, you've got Inverness, you've got the Outer Hebrides, uh, on and on and on. What is it that you two found magical about Linlithgow? All these other places are fantastic. It's where everybody wants to go. And my family's from the Outer Hebrides, so I'd encourage people to go there as well. But um, there are a lot of tour companies and a lot of people produce, um, delivering really good services in all these places. And they're very crowded. And as Emma said at the beginning, Linlithgow is very much an undiscovered gem. It really is. And we as much, we started out as much about promoting Linlithgow as promoting um, Scotland and other places. And Outlander's quite interesting as a follow on from that because everybody does come and they want to go to Edinburgh, Inverness and the Isle of Skye at the moment. That's, that's where everybody wants yes. to go. But they're not seeing other places. And if you do, for example, an Outlander location tour with us, you'll see Linlithgow people love that you will see Falkland which is another beautiful historic village in Fife that people won't don't necessarily choose to go to as part of a tour um, again we'll go to Kouros which is is fabulous so people are seeing and I think more especially if people have been to Scotland maybe once mm. before and they're coming back again they do want to see things that are out with the major attractions, they obviously want to see them as well but it, I think there's more of an interest in seeing if you like it's something the real that, Scotland or something's a bit it's, different. It is. It's off the beaten track, if you like. And mm -hmm. I mean, of course, we do want to bring people here to the town and in, um, increase the numbers. But when visitors come to Linlithgow, what they'll say to us afterwards is that they, they feel that they've experienced a true Scottish town. You know, it's Linlithgow is made up of it's a, it's a fantastic place to bring up children. There's, you know, old people here. There's young people. So it's 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 a real town. It's It's got its shops. It's got its restaurants and that. But when you come, you see how Scots are living day to day. And that's not something that you get all the time when you go to somewhere like Pitlockery. Um, or a calendar or something like that. It's a little bit more realistic and authentic, if you like. What was it that drew the two of you to Linlithgow? Was it that, in a sense, that native Scotland, Scottish experience, as opposed to, uh, let's say, an, an Edinburgh or a Glasgow? Well, I lived in Edinburgh when I moved over from Ireland. I married a Scot, so we lived in Edinburgh for a while. And then I became pregnant, so we started looking for somewhere to live and raise a family. So Linlithgow, for us, was the perfect place for that. It's on the train line, so it's only 20 minutes from Edinburgh and 30 minutes from Glasgow. So you're close enough to still some major cities. Um, but, you know, it was. It was a little bit more suburban. So that was really what brought us out to, to Linlithgow. So, and I think probably similar for yourself, yes. Anne, was it? I mean, I'm from Glasgow and, and my family were still in Glasgow, but I had moved uh, to London. I'd lived there for 12 years. And when I moved back to Scotland, I wanted to move back. I was working in the financial industry, which um, in Scotland is predominantly based in Edinburgh. So I moved to a job in Edinburgh. So, as Emma said, Linlithgow is on the main Edinburgh-Glasgow train line. It couldn't be better situated. It's also, you go from here to Stirling as well. So it's absolutely perfect in terms of location. Um, for working in Edinburgh, having family in Glasgow, heading north, it's right on the the motorway system. But the town itself, what's fabulous about it is its sense of community. 
in Linlithgow, we still celebrate a lot of old traditions going right, right back centuries. We celebrate them every year, I think, called the Linlithgow Marches. Um, the whole town gets involved. It's a real community. There's lots of community groups. It's a fabulous place to bring up children. So it's just got all these things going for it. But yet you've still got the perfect connections to the big cities. So I, I do want to get into Outlander because obviously that's a, becoming a huge part of your business. But take me through a normal tour of Linlithgow. What are the sights and sounds that I'm going to see and experience pre-Outlander being there? Well, Linlithgow is it's a walking tour, a meander. So we start in Linlithgow as one big long high street. So we really walk along that. Um, we start by pointing out that it's a royal borough, received its royal borough charter back in 1389. And as a royal borough, it was a walled town. So we literally, it literally had walls around it and we had ports or gates. A lot of Linlithgow, because of French connection, has quite a lot of French words associated with it. So we talk, chat about what it was like then, coming in and out the town gates, what life would have been like then. And we make our way along the high street, pointing out buildings. Um, the oldest ones are from the 16th century, so we have some real, real historic buildings. And then we have Victorian Linlithgow, which has got a different feel about it. And we make our way along with some old wells. Linlithgow's very um, famous for its historic wells. We have a little chat about that. We get to the centre of the town and we have little myths. And I'll tell you our little myth about Linlithgow, a fact that... Um, Everybody remembers once they've been to Linlithgow. And Linlithgow, we have our um, crest, sorry, forgotten the word there. The crest of Linlithgow is a dog tied under a, an oak tree. And the dog's a black dog. And the dog is known as the black bitch. And there's a little story to the dog. And the story goes like this, that many years ago, a man was convicted of a crime and his punishment was to be tied to a tree on Linlithgow Loch and left to starve to death. Now, it became apparent after a while that he was very much alive. And the reason was that his dog, a black bitch, was swimming out and giving food to him. So the dog was seen as the ultimate symbol of loyalty and she was adopted as the symbol of the town. Now, to reward the dog, they then tied her to another tree on another island and they left her to starve to death. Oh, my so God. a very sad ending, very sad ending. Oh. But the dog to this day, the black bitch, is a very proud symbol of Linlithgow. In these days, it's not very politically correct to call somebody a black bitch, but anybody born in Linlithgow, which is not so many these days because Linlithgow doesn't have a hospital, it's a small town. So basically you have to be born at home these days to be born in Linlithgow. Anybody who's born in Linlithgow, is, whether it's a man or a woman, is known as a black bitch and they're very, very proud of the fact. And our current most famous black bitch is actually Alex Salmond, the ex-First Minister. That's the kind of stories that we share with people that's a bit different from your normal historical tour. Um, yes. So we then go on through the town. Uh, we have other little stories and facts surrounding Linlithgow. Another one is Linlithgow as well. Is, I won't share everything. People will want to come in our tours. Yeah, right. um, but we have a couple of firsts. And one is that the first ever assassination of, the head of, of a head of state with a fire arrow took place in Linlithgow. And that was back in 1570 when a James Hamilton assassinated the Earl of Murray, who was 
the half-brother of Mary, Queen of Scots and Regent of Scotland at the time to her son, James VI. So that's a flavour of some of the things that we tell you as we go round the town, we point out some of the sites, and that's all before we get to Linlithgow Palace. Now, the Linlithgow Palace, of course, was a filming location for Outlander as the interior to Wentworth Prison. When you orchestrate your tours, your walking tour of uh, Linlithgow is separate from your Outlander tour and is now separate from your ancestral tour. Is that right? Yes. And when we do our walking tour of Linlithgow, um, we don't actually mention the Outlander connection until we get to the palace. And then we'll ask if anybody happens to be an Outlander fans. Um, Often enough, our Outlander visitors tend to be coming from America. Uh, our walking tour people, by and large, tend to be more local or from the UK. And surprisingly, yet to many people in America, Outlander is still not that well known in the UK. So the Linlithgow Palace as an Outlander location is is not often not a major um, feature for people coming on walking tours. They've they've often not heard of it at all. So the the, the real um, um, feature there is that Linlithgow Palace is a magnificent um, building in its own right, but it's mostly famous for being the birthplace of Mary Queen of Scots. And of course, we um, the, they put up a statue to Mary Queen of Scots this year. Uh, the Mary Stewart Society did uh, a fantastic fundraising campaign, and I believe they they raised the money for it in just uh, over just one year. Yes, yes. And mm-hmm. um, so that we have a fantastic statue that was um, unveiled at the end of April. Mm-hmm. So again, it's something else to 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 look at when you come to the town. And actually, there's a second statue we should add. There was an originally a, a statue in the gardens of the Annett House Museum as well. But because that one isn't on sort of in a public place, this is why the new one at the palace has the title of sort of being the first public statue of Mary, Queen of Scots. It's interesting that you say that most of your Outlander tours are coming from the United States. Have you seen other impacts that Outlander has had on Linlithgow since it began filming in the area? The impact is, is not specifically on Linlithgow itself, although we do, as Outlanders come, there has been an increase in the number of tourists coming and staying in Linlithgow. With the show. With the, we do an Outlander show and that has brought more people to the town who want to stay overnight in the town. But Linlithgow itself, much of the filming is actually uh, within oh, a half an hour's drive. Mm-hmm. Of the town, so it's not specifically the town itself, the palace was used, but all the area around the town was used. So it's, it's a slightly wider um, benefit that's come to the area than the town itself. Um, Blackness Castle, um, which is uh, Fort William, um, Lallybrock House, Hopeton House, B. Um, Craig's Country Park, uh, just outside the town, the Bowness Railway Museum. So all these are, are literally... Um, right round the town of Linlithgow. So that's why it makes sense for us. And we do start all our Outlander tours from Linlithgow. So people come to the town to, to actually start the tours. So that that's that's why Outlander's brought an added benefit to, to the town itself. The, um, the yeah, no, well, I was just going to say, yeah. no, with the impact of Outlander on towns, probably, you know, Kouras, for example, I mean, it would just be, it's, it's huge to the town of Kouras and to mm-hmm. Falkland yes. as well. And you can see Falkland has really embraced it and that. And they all, I think, had little mini pocket Jamies the and they're like in the windows of it. So a town like Falkland, where they, they did a 
lot of filming there. Um, they've really embraced it. You know, they've embraced the fans and that. But no, as Anne sort of alluded to, that we um, we put on a show there over the summer. We decided to try something a little bit different. And we put on a show called A Taste of Outlander. So that was held in one of the, the hotels here in the town. And it consisted of a three-course meal and then we had sort of a, a show with a traditional band called Burak, who um, did the music. And we had uh, an actor, um, Sarah Gillian, fulfilled that role for us. And we had a dancer and we had some pipers. And the whole evening was based around, um, it had the theme of Outlander running through it from the food to um, the music that was played to the to the dancing um, we did the sword dance and the dance of the blue bonnets and that. And then Sarah or Gillian would do readings from the books. So the Taste of Outlander show again has, you know, by doing that has brought people into the town. I was going to get into to that because to me that has the flavor of what we in the States would call dinner theater, where you go and you enjoy a nice dinner and, and typically you see a play. And while this is not um, a play per se, but it has the elements of, of musical entertainment, uh, readings from the book, etc. How did that idea come about? Because that certainly is different and unique because Outlander tours themselves are not new the filming location tours are new because the production is new but i know there are other uh, operators who have been doing tours around scotland based on the books for some years now so you're creating i I think kind of a new niche in the sense of doing the filming location tours and specifically your taste of outlander evening i find truly intriguing Anne and myself we were talking about it and um we were just having a conversation and, and we also did some research with Outlander, um, Outlandish UK. We have spoke to members of that. And we also, we wanted to create something that was different. But I remember saying to Anne, you know, I want to create something that is sensory so that people are getting much more than just, just a visual. You want to taste, um, taste an experience and, and hear it and feel it and everything. And I remember, you know, growing up in Ireland, going along to sort of traditional Cayley nights um, and one being very popular in Johnny Fox's in Dublin. And that was always very, very popular or Bunratty Castle down in Limerick. And it was that sort of element. And I always use the Irish word for I wanted an evening that was just full of crack, as we say, you know, lots yes. of fun. People all sitting around the table and um, when everybody has that one connection you know that they're a fan of the show but also you can come along and we've had that we've had non-fans of Outlander come to the evenings and they've really 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 enjoyed it but for me I just wanted it to be a fun-filled evening where people can get up and dance if they want to they can clap and also taste the food and everything just has that theme of Outlander of Jamie and Claire coming through it so it it has been really, really fun doing that. And also what was great about it is that we can work with um, other tour operators because we're doing something that's a little bit different. And the lovely thing about working in the Scottish tourism industry is that, you know, we're OK, we may be competing, if you like, but where everybody is very, very friendly and works to help each other. And if you can't do a tour, you contact somebody else. So it's it's been great to have something like that that other people, you know, can send their um, clients to. And that's so it's it's just been a wonderful experience. And I'm really looking forward to doing more of it in 2016. Um, probably we're going to focus more on 
the group and travel trade sort of side for the booking, things like that. Um, just to have groups, you know, make a full booking of 15 people or 20 people. But um, the feedback from the show has been absolutely fantastic. And one of the big things, again, for 2016 that we would like to do is to bring the show over to New York for Tartan Week. Burek, the band, are absolutely dead keen to do that. So we're kind we're looking into how we can do that at the moment. Well, I had gathered that from uh, listening to the uh, to the Outlander podcast with Ginger and Summer, but I gather that maybe there's some thought to making it even broader than that. Uh, is this something that maybe in the back of your mind you're looking at uh, becoming a, a touring type show that might travel all around the world, or maybe even maybe even be franchised? Well, that, that's a, a good idea. I think initially we, um, at the moment, we would be thinking maybe about different venues in Scotland. But what we've had is that from conversations with people that we've met from North America, from America and Canada, is that there is um, an interest. People talk to us, oh, you should come and do this at the Highland Show and things like that. So it's something, you know, that we would be definitely interested in if somebody approached us and said, could you do this? You know, we would definitely give it some consideration. But at the moment, we don't have any dates in the diary, you know, to to come over to. I, I remember attending a, a Scots uh, Highland Games in Pleasanton, I think it was in California. But if anybody wants to invite us, um, you can certainly pass on our details, Glenn. <laughs> OK, I'll certainly do that. Let's talk a little bit about the tourism industry and and guided tours such as those that you provide, either uh, the walking tour of Linlithgow, the Outlander tour. And am I correct in assuming the Outlander tour is done, what, probably by bus, given that, as you say, some of the locations are a half hour or so away? We use, we use a minibus most of the time. Okay. So we, we really take it as small tours, uh, six people, or we do private private tours as well of the Outlander tours. We, we, we have done um, a couple of the bigger coaches, but uh, some of the locations don't really lend themselves um, so well to, to big coach tours uh, that we go to. The, the, the particular one I'm thinking of that everybody wants to go to is the house that's, that is Lallybrock. Uh, but generally, most of the tours that we do are either private car and um, private tours or our regular tours in a minibus because we want to keep it small. We, we don't really want, um, you know, we want to keep it small and we intimate. We want it to be intimate. Yeah, right. absolutely. Right. I know there are tour guides that one can hire throughout Scotland in different areas uh, of Scotland that you may be visiting. But my question is, is, what is the benefit of doing a tour such as yours as opposed to seeing these sites on your own, which you, you can do. I, I visited Dune Castle on my second trip to uh, Scotland in January, uh, which of course is one of the filming locations of Outlander. So uh, I guess the question is why as a tourist should I look to Mary's Meanders um, or any other tourist operator to show me around? What is it that I get from being your client as opposed to just trying to wander around and see these things on my own? You can, you can certainly do, do them on your own. That's not a problem. Although one or two of them, um, if you don't have your own transport, are a bit difficult to get to. Uh, um, so you would have to organise some sort of transport to get there. So that, that's the first starting point. But the real thing of using a tour guide as opposed to doing it on your own is that you'll get that added, um, the added little tidbits of where they filmed, what they did, 
what things they did and didn't do, those extra little snippets that you possibly won't get on your own. Dune Castle's quite a good example. It will will change in its day, but Dune Castle, until Outlander came along, Dune Castle was most, most well known for being the filming site for Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Yes. And you can get an audio guide at Dune Castle, which is very, very good, but it's... Um, very um it's, it's still geared to the whole monty python thing um the staff there are always very very helpful but most of the times far too busy to be explaining all the the outlander um, connections there and where they did did what so you'll get that you're also generally sharing your tour with like-minded people so it's a just good fun filled outlander day and from using a company like ours you'll get added little personal touches or personal connections for example the keeper of Blackness Castle is actually is Graham, who is the piper in our Taste of Outlander show. And on occasion, if it's not too busy and if you can manage it, you might get a little pipe tune when you're on our, our tour at Blackness Castle. We know the people at the house where they use, they use for Lallybroth. We know those people for years. I've, I've known them long before Outlander came along. So it's the local connections. And, and from our point of view, that's why we really focus on the filming location tours, for example, because they're in our area, we know the people in our area, whereas some of the Inverness tour companies that have been running for years know their area. And they would, you know, you would say to people, if you want to do a tour, a specialist tour up around the Inverness area, you can use an Inverness company because they know and they have the personal connection. So that that's the real difference, the, the personal connections that you have by choosing the specialists in a particular area. You do small, intimate tours, but I, I believe you're also available to do bespoke tours, i.e. if I travel to Scotland again, which I will do, and I typically travel on my own, if I wanted to, to do an Outlander tour or a tour around Linlithgow, then you are available for hire on an individual or a very small group, very intimate basis for a bespoke tour. Is that not right? Yes, absolutely. We, we do regular bespoke tours and not just Outlander tours. We do ancestral tours, which by their nature are always bespoke tours. Yeah, and, all, I, and I do want to get yeah, into that as well. Yes, relevant to the specific person. But we, we do regular um, bespoke Outlander tours, and mainly because people will, will be here for a certain number of days, so their day might not fit in with our regular tours. So we, we will do a tour for anybody, any day, if we are available. We're moving much more <laughs> yeah. towards that now and to, for next year, for 2016 this year you know we we were a little bit more structured if you like with our tours but um we're going to be launching a new website so people will be able to see there on the calendar what tours are available um on that but as Anne says you know we're always flexible um we've added another person elaine is now working with us doing tours as well so uh, we, we're pretty amenable and, and flexible really so let's talk a bit about the the new ancestral tours. My ancestry was part of what brought me to Scotland for the first time. I regret now that I did not spend more time looking into my my ancestry and trying to use resources there. Though I don't really understand genealogy. I have a cousin in the family who does all that for us, thank goodness. And so it's through her that I know all about my ancestry. I know my eighth great grandfather was actually born in Glasgow, um, but uh, another, and he was a Barnhill. Uh, my other ancestors, uh, Breckenridge, 
were believed to be from Ayrshire or Lanarkshire and then moved up to Bredalbyn. But I didn't do, I, I really did nothing to try and research that while I was there. And I regret that I haven't. And when I come back, I, I want to do that. So tell me how, if I were to call you up and say, okay, I'm coming to Scotland and I want to do an ancestral tour. And this is what I know about my ancestry. How do you take it from there and run with it? And what do you provide for me? Or what could you, or would you provide for me? Well, there's different levels. Um, the very first one that we ever did was somebody who had had their their full genealogy all done. They knew exactly where they wanted to go. We just had to take them there. And that was very interesting because we actually found out by just by doing some pre-research, we found out some more interesting facts about the places they wanted to go local. So that's how it started out. But it's gradually, gradually built up. And we have different levels. We go from somebody who's actually fully done all the research and really just needs to be taken to the area because it tends not to be, you know, your main tourist areas. It will be a village like Forth or down in deepest Ayrshire or something like that or up in the Highlands. So they want to be taken to the places, but we'll do pre-research. Like if they think somebody's been buried there or they have a church connection, we'll go and check out the graveyards and things beforehand to save them time just to find out if there is still something there. Sometimes we'd be very lucky and there may be other times we'll find out there's not. So we'll do that. Um, On the other hand, you can get somebody that we had just recently that had almost just started. They had a kind of outline of what they wanted. We can do some basic genealogy research. If people need something more in depth, we do use professional genealogists which we are not, although I'm a very enthusiastic amateur and somebody's <laughs> going to the records office, I'm more than happy to go with them. Um, so we will do that. So people generally will come and they um, mostly they've done a certain element of research themselves and they want to spend a bit of time in the records office and we can help with that or they can get do that. And then with the information they gain from that, we will then go off and take them to the specific location. And often it can be, um, you're not necessarily going to find a graveyard. You're going to find go and experience the place that your ancestors come from. Right. Like when we did early in the year, uh, we were down in the borders. Now, the, the graveyard, uh, we knew before they came that the graveyard and the church were gone, so they wouldn't find anything there. But what they wanted and what we provided was their family, as, as so many are from the borders, um, were, were mill workers, in fact, mill owners, and their ancestors had gone to Canada and opened a mill there. So we were able to take them to a genuine working mill. No, I mean, there's quite a few mills down there that will have almost like a tourist um, mill attached to it that you can see how it works, but we were able to take them to a genuine working mill and they could see and actually go through the process and do a little bit and see how the whole tweed making uh, so that it would have been like exactly in their ancestors' days. So we, we will do that kind of thing. So basically each one is completely bespoke. It's what the person wants and what they need to see. And it might be a starter. Almost like a, if it's their first visit, we can tell them some of the places to go, depending on where their family comes from. We can do some research and say, you know, if, you're fa if your family, like, you know, as a Stuart family, which there are dozens of branches from, we'll say, well, your research shows that yours is from this particular area, or you might be the Borders branch, or you might be the Highland branch, and really direct people where to go, and, and we can take them. And we can also do some basic research for people here. Um, if they want some research done, we can do that before they even get here. 
uh, do that as well. Either ourselves, if it's fairly basic, if it's much more complicated, we, we have professional genealogists that we use for it. So I like that idea because I, I did get into Lanark and to and a bit into Air. I have a friend in Air, and I know that's the region, the general region from which uh, my one of my ancestry lines comes from. It, it struck me that I've been, uh, I spent a week up in the Highlands on my first visit and went right past the road sign where I, it was either turn left to go to Bredalban or turn right to go uh, up into the Highlands to Ardvariki, where I stayed. And I turned right, and it never occurred to me, and I don't know why, not to go to Bredalban because I knew that's where I had some family connection or, or family had come from. So tell me how, um, again, looking at the, sky, at the tourist industry in Scotland at large, what impact have you seen and have you felt in your own industry and as, as people who live in Scotland? How have you seen Outlander have an impact on not only your business, but your daily lives and, and Scotland in general? What has the impact of that television production been? Our daily lives. We just now live and breathe Outlander. <laughs> so it's, it's all consuming. It's completely right, taken yeah. over our daily lives. My children sure. My children would have um, uh, some knowledge of Outlander. Obviously, I have to omit certain parts of it, but, you know, I will take them on, uh, on the weekend. We'll go and visit different places because I might be doing some research work and um, they'll know you know what happened um, you know nearly they would know the Outlander history sometimes more than the other history they'll be talking about Jamie being here and things like that at Castle Leoch so um, so yeah no it's absolutely a part of us I don't know if you saw Twitter and washing was out on Twitter her her clothes her wardrobe is now you know I guess um, sort of, what's the word? What's the word? Inspired by Outlander as well. Yeah, so yes. For us, yes, absolutely. Yes. You know, it is. It's it's part of yeah. our, our daily. We've got a, a cardboard cutout of Jamie as well that we were very lucky to receive at the premiere of the show. So Jamie has lived in both of our houses as well, scared <laughs> our neighbours and our friends many times mm-hmm. as yes, well. Yes. But the official statistics, so that, um, before even the height of the summer started, Dune Castle, uh, Castle Leo, its um, visitor numbers were up 30% year on year. So that's absolutely massive for a historic Scotland property. Mm. And that was even before the peak summer um, figures came in. And it's, it's just absolutely packed out all the time. So um, it, it's had a major, major impact, major impact. Is it something that everyone in Scotland welcomes or has there been any type of backlash? I haven't heard of anything now myself. I mean, conversations, what, will, what tends to happen after a summer season is, you know, we'll get together with other walking tour companies or other guides who've been doing Outlander tours. So that's kind of when, you know, you would get that sort of personal chat and hear about it. But I think the tourism industry is aware of, you know, that when you're visiting a town, say, for example, Kouras or Falkland, I mean, you have to be respectful that that's, you know, where residents mm-hmm. live and work. So um, I can't say that we felt it ourselves. I, but I don't think there's a backlash as such. I've heard one or two people at Kouras saying that um, they're, they're a bit taken aback when people stick, because Kouras 
Did you go to Kouris when you came on your visit, Glenn? No, I did not. I have not oh, been there. Right, Kouris is, um, although it is a 17th century town, a village, uh, people just live there and the houses are normal people's houses. Um, and I have heard that some, some people are a bit taken aback by um, people sticking cameras in the windows <laughs> and, and taking photos and things. But I, I'm not aware of there being any kind of major backlash or anything like that. Certainly yeah. not not so far. I mean, places like Dune Castle, Dune Castle is, is the one that's probably been most impacted in that it doesn't have the infrastructure to cope with the numbers that have been coming through. And Historic Scotland are certainly looking at that and what they need to do about that for next year. But no, no I don't think so. I know um, Sky is completely full and you can't move in Sky and you can't get dinner and things like that. I've but heard that. Yeah, it's very much built on tourism, so they're, they're welcoming it. So, no, I, I think it, it, it's almost the opposite that Scotland's tourist industry is now kind of having its day and mm. let's make the most of it. And I would hope that to be the case. Just like you said, Anne, early on, my first visit, uh, I didn't do Edinburgh first, but I did Glasgow, I did the Highlands, and I did Skye. Those were the yeah. three places I wanted to go. And, and so I spent a week in each. And, and I made friends on Skye, and I heard the stories. And I was not there in the peak summer season. I was there in early spring. And so I didn't have to fight the crowds. But I heard the stories of you know the, the people pulling the caravans on the, on the roads and the one-track roads and the tourists stopping in the middle of the road to take pictures and all those things that upset the local residents. But what caught my – what really got my attention about that, and the reason I asked the question, is the week that I spent at Ardvariki Estate, which was in its day a huge filming location for Monarch of the Glen, which was a great oh, yeah. BBC yeah. hit. And the house was then and is now a private residence. And though you can stay on the estate in their holiday cottages and you can get close to the house. But but I was talking to the estate manager, to Vyrie, and she was telling me that there literally were people who would walk up and just walk in the door unannounced and, and, and want to go around and see the inside of the house. Or they'd go up and peer through the windows. And, they, and I personally can't imagine doing that. But that's where I was going with the question about has there been a backlash in the smaller uh, villages and the towns where the where Outlander's been filmed with tourists walking in and not being respectful, and I guess that's one benefit of uh, of operations like yours because I, I, clearly you keep your people in tow and wouldn't let them just walk into someone's home. Yeah, I mean one of the things when they were filming last year that wasn't very well known and people didn't know what was happening, so people you know, fans would turn up and to a certain extent were able to watch some of the filming happening or getting close and things like that. There's definitely been this year when they're filming just now, there's much, much more security involved and um, people can't get near and they do seem to be using more private houses and things. So I don't know as season two comes along whether there might be more issues then because at the moment most of the places for season one uh, are, are public buildings mm. that you can get to one way or another. So I don't know as more private private buildings are used, if that might become more of an issue. People trying to get to places that um, that are not open to the public, I don't know. 
Yeah, that's um, a friend of mine uh, in Glasgow. Uh, there was some early filming for season two being done just um, maybe a, a few weeks ago. And uh, it was right there in the area of town where he lives. And he went down to try to see some of the filming. And all he saw were security guards. <laughs> there, was, there was no chance he was getting anywhere near there. And they were filming in the middle of the night. And he wasn't the only one who showed up in the middle of the night to try to see something and got to see nothing but security guards. Um, so, and, and you can understand that when... Uh, with the intricacies of what it takes to uh, to film a production like that. So now your tours operate on are, are on a seasonal basis, is that correct? Yes, yeah, yeah. We work from uh, from Easter to the end of September. But again, you know, if somebody wanted something, we've had somebody get in touch who was interested in doing something in the new year. So, you know, they can always send an email and if um, if we can help, we will we'll certainly we'll, do we'll our best. It, we will look at it. And certainly, I mean, in the winter, if the, if the weather's fine, um, that's always the, 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 the you know, the, the criteria in the winter that it has to be safe, safe driving, really. Uh, so we will look at tours. We'll look at um, bespoke requests at any other time, but our mainstream season is through the summer. And is is that primarily because of weather and uh, and I guess that is the primary tourism season anyway? Well, it's the primary tourism season and it's weather and light as well because once you get into October to the end of October, uh, the, the castles and such like are open limited hours. You're probably, most places are open, say maybe, maybe only 10 till last entrance would be 3 o'clock are closing at four so you're very strict today yes because it gets very dark very early over there in the winter i <laughs> i had not experienced that until i was in edinburgh for christmas and, and hogmanay this past uh, december january and it was shocking to, to at four thirty walk out and have it be night we don't we don't experience that in my part of the states here yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. absolutely mm-hmm. And it just gives us, it gives everyone time to kind of breathe, gather themselves and uh, prepare for the for the new season, you know, and make any changes, you know, review what you've done over the summer and see if everything's working correctly. Go off, read some new books, some more history books and that. And um, yeah, just be ready for the next season. So you've done, uh, you're now doing the Linlithgow walking tours. You're doing the Outlander tours. You're doing ancestral tours. is, And you're doing the, the Taste of Outlander uh, evening uh what I'll call dinner theater. Um, And you want to bring that to the United States uh, and perhaps elsewhere, other locations around Scotland. Will there be some time spent in the off season coming up, uh, brainstorming perhaps something new that will uh, debut in 2016? Not really. No, we're not. I think we've got enough at the moment. (laughs) (laughs) We just really, you know, we're excited about our new website. So that will be something for everybody to look at and to give us um, some feedback on that. So no, we just really want to promote and make sure, you know, that we build upon the brand, if you like, our name, just getting ourselves out there, building upon the connections that we've made already. Planning, looking forward to Tartan Week. I was able to go over this year. So I don't know if I'll go over again, but hopefully Anne will be there for that this year, which was just the most wonderful, wonderful experience. As I said, I was never, I never felt so proud to be Scottish says she, the Irish lady, as I did walking down Fifth Avenue, marching in that parade. It was just a brilliant moment with some of the most loveliest people I've ever met. And um, hopefully Tartan Week will just grow and grow. So if we can be a part of that, I would love that to happen. My thanks, as always, to my guests, Emma Chalmers and Anne Daly. And here's hoping we'll see you both at Tartan Week in New York City next April.
In the meantime, if you'd like to know more about the offerings of Mary's Meanders, simply check out our show notes at www.underthetartansky.scot for a link to their website and more about their base of operations, the lovely village of Linlithgow. While on the website, I hope you'll take time to catch up on any of our previous episodes you may have missed, and a few moments of your time to rate and review the podcast on iTunes would be greatly appreciated. Likewise, please tell your friends about the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and other social media. After all, there's room for everyone here, under the tartan sky. Until next time, I'm Glenn Moyer. Tafalev, Agus Alapa Gubra. Under the Tartan Sky is a production of Glenn L. Moyer Creative Communications. Learn more on our website at www.glennlmoyer.com. For show notes and more information on this and all Under the Tartan Sky episodes, please visit our website at www.underthetartansky.scot. And while you're there, check out our online shop where you can buy exclusive Under the Tartan Sky logo apparel and other items. Have an idea for a future episode? Well, get in touch via email at info at underthetartansky.scot. Visit and like our page on Facebook and follow us on Twitter, where our username is at underscore tartansky. That's the underscore symbol, tartansky. And thank you for listening.